0: Hi, my name is Lily Head and I'm the Managing Director of Lily Head Dental Practice Sales and myself and my team all share a strong ethos which is to help dentists exceed their business ambitions. We work with buyers and sellers, principals of dental practices. We help support them and we perform valuations and broker sales throughout the United Kingdom, putting together a successful team for the right outcome for everybody. today we're going to talk about how much is my practice worth and how can I go about improving its value today I'm with Abby Greenhoff my sales director and Abby and I are going to have a conversation around preparing your practice maximizing the valuation and any tips along the way that we can share with you now Abby one of the things that I often get asked and I'm sure you do as well is valuations is it an art or a science people are always trying to understand how we come to evaluation of a dental practice yeah it's a good place to start because when you're thinking about those first thoughts those first
1: curiosities about perhaps exiting or how i can work on my business it's important to understand how we come to evaluation so actually it is a bit of both it's art and science i spend Quite a lot of my time out on the road meeting dentists with my head in a set of accounts so it very much is the data the numbers the the income and the profits but it's also the data that we have access to which is the comparables and how we decide what the value is so we have a national set of data that shows us what practices have been selling for and then the i guess the art comes in and that's why with a broker or somebody with long experience of the market understands, from taking all of the softer factors into account in a practice, the income, the, 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 the type of income, if it's simply health plan, if it's private, if it's NHS, the location, the presentation, the staffing, the size, the scale, all of these things come in as the art. And the art really is about how we decide what multiple or what value to apply. A professional valuation needs to be done from the inside out. Um, as we touched on before, you can have two practices with the signage on the front look, look the same from the outside, um, but they can be very different from a, a business point of view. So when we look at evaluation, we are focusing on different methodologies. So it's important to understand this. So we are looking at the overall income size of the practice. Um, And a very old way of doing valuations would be, and we still use that today to be able to concord and check out our thinking, is to look at the percentage of growth. So a practice turns over 800,000. We may be looking, you know, 120%
0: 120% of growth. Yeah, well, this was the yes. traditional method. Yes. Certainly 14 or 15 years ago, when I first started selling dental practices, that was the real method of, of applying a valuation purely on percentage of growth of turnover. There was no reference made to the profitability of that business. It was a dental practice. That's what you made. But nobody with the banks particularly were not interested.
1: Yeah, exactly. And
0: what has changed?
1: Um, now, really, it's all about profits in the business. So from a buyer coming in, they are looking at, is this practice enough money left after all the costs and all the associates are paid, what is left in, in the pot, and can I afford to repay my lender? Um, so that's the difference. There's much more focus now on actually the, the profits of the business, and any bank looking to lend said buyer, is always going to be looking at the, the, the profits and you know, are they going to be able to repay that debt? Are they able to make a living? Are you able to pay your tax? And is that business going to succeed? So there's much, much more focus on profits. So you can have two very similar practices turning over similar amounts, but then the profits can be hugely different. So for example, um, when when we look at practice valuations, we are using an EBITDA methodology
0: most commonly now. One of the questions that I certainly get asked a lot is why the difference between two sites? We will either launch a practice that they'll see that we have to sell or they'll just ask me generally. A practice up the road went for half a million pound more than other valuations that I have received on my practice. Why the difference? Now, the old adage, you can't compare apples with pears. No two practices are replicate. one is quite bespoke. But let's talk about the differences that make up that can be wholly differing valuations on two seemingly identical three, four surgery practices. Okay, so
1: putting aside the profits, um, because we've we've spoken about that, um, a professional valuation needs to take a lot more into account. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it's a, a little bit of a risk assessment, really, about goodwill, because goodwill, after all, is the certainty of future business, repeat business, and profits. So when we're looking at that, we're looking about what is the type of revenue that's coming into a practice. So a practice that's turning over, say, 800,000 um, and another one that's turning over 800,000, they may be getting their income from different places. So if you've got plan income or simply health, that would be seen as more secure because it's ongoing monthly income and the buyer likes that, the banks like that, hence slightly higher values. Um, NHS income, similarly, that's regular bread and butter income into the practice. And then fee per item as well. So when a practice has got a good balance, that tends to support slightly higher values. Also, it's looking at the location, we're seeing a a big, big impact on geography really. So um, you can have two very similar practices in profits, and also profile, but you can have one out in rural locations and one in the major cities where people want to live, work and stay, and you've got more access to more professional staff and dentists, so the demand is much higher there. So the practice is very similar, similar profile, similar profits, much higher values in the cities than in rural
0: locations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the and practice valuation really needs to be done from the inside out mm-hmm. because there is very bespoke Uh, aspects of every practice and also the income streams within a practice. If a practice is basically associate-led, they're very popular because it means that there is no onus on relying on the principal who can be bringing in a substantial amount of the income. A lot of corporates like to have a practice that's wholly associate-led. If the principal is, is largely the breadwinner, bringing in a huge proportion of the income, buyers and corporates are nervous of this because if they should leave for any reason, there's a very, there's a stronger liability that the goodwill may slip away a little. So people like to see practices that have a nice spread of all the income levels, which is good. Um, Single-handed practices, again, carries that small risk that people are buying into that principle, and obviously if it's a retirement sale, uh, it is what it is. But people do like to see perhaps some associate income, some hygiene therapy income, And we can touch upon this a little bit later on but these are all factors aren't they that come in
1: yeah it's it's about the security really and and likewise if a practice is all one-off treatments so it's most mostly referral based you know that sort of red regular general dentistry element is missing the the values tend to be
0: a little bit more sensitized that's true Mm -hmm. and another thing we talk about location a lot Mm -hmm. and it is very critical but There's another aspect to think about, and that is recruiting, because a practice may be beautiful in a a wonderful area, but if recruitment is typically very tough, to find people that that want to relocate there or work there and getting locums is, is a problem, this does affect appetite to buy in the market, because people can very quickly find out how easy it is to get staffing. Practices that have a very low turnover of staff, a very loyal patient base, they're all viewed very positively by buyers and the lenders. Um, So it's all about demand, really, because there's certain areas in England are the key hotspots. London, M25 corridor, uh, home counties, major conurbations, Manchester, Sheffield, Birmingham, Bristol, big cities. But the more rural one gets, the more remote, then we find that the demand isn't as strong. There is still demand, but nothing like the demand that we are seeing um, in those hotspot areas, in particular in the southeast. Um, and all these things affect evaluation. So we take all of this, don't we, into consideration in doing evaluation? You know, we can. It helps support the sale price, and if it's a high sale price because it's an area of really strong demand, um, you can't charge the same price for a practice if it's going to be in a very rural area, say in the Lake District, that you could do for a practice that's in London. Mm-hmm. I've got an example of that actually, and
1: it's quite surprising. So. About a year and a half ago, sold two very similar practices. They both were turning over about 550 um, income. They had a roughly about the same proportion of den plan, NHS, and private. And we had one in a very very rural location that sold for about 450, and then one in in Birmingham, and the sale price was about 895, yeah. so almost double. Yeah, so there's a big absolutely. difference. It's
0: about demand. Demand outstrips supply, and ultimately, of course. People, uh, A practice is only worth what someone's prepared to pay for it. And to acquire a practice that's well established and has a robust uh, profitability, people will pay for that to acquire that practice. When we value practices, obviously we look at the financial performance, we look at all the factors, the location, the type of dentistry, uh, the type of services, the splits of that income. But let's touch upon fixtures and fittings. Uh, We obviously advise clients if they're thinking of selling in the next year or so, not to make huge purchases to the practice, they'll never get that return on investment. But overall, if a practice is well equipped and the the equipment is obviously in excellent order, what are you seeing in the market at the moment for extra value added to practices that have made that investment in the fabric of the surgeries?
1: I think from a buyer's perspective, when they walk through the door of the potential practice that they're considering buying, they want to see that it's well maintained well-governed, well-presented, and that they are not going to have huge capital expenditure when they come in. These may be associates have been working in nicely appointed practices. They want to be able to see that they can work in an environment where they can deliver their dentistry in an environment where the the equipment is good quality, well-maintained. But actually, the predominant part of a practice value is about the goodwill, and the fixtures and fittings is a smaller element, but definitely something that's well-presented, well-maintained, sets the right impression about a practice. It's what you see sometimes, the way it's maintained, you can think that actually that's what it's like below the surface with staff and policies and care as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think though it's worth adding that, yes, these are all very good things to have. So never lose interest, never stop investing in your practice. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a bit like buying a brand new car, you know, you take it off the showroom forecourt and three months later, the value of that car is nothing like the day of, of purchase. So when we value a, a surgery, once a practice is more than one or two years old, the value of the equipment within that is not anywhere near as the number that they paid for. And so this is why we urge caution about investing in new toys for the practice because you're not gonna get that return back if you wanted to sell it as part of the, of the package or sell it independently. Exactly. I think that when you're
1: investing in new equipment, you need to know whether you need it for a clinical reason. And this is a business case, if you're leading up to the cell, that you're going to get some sort of revenue, or you're going to be able to attract patients because you're offering something new. Uh, so you need to think carefully about that. So just as a rule of thumb, a sort of a benchmark, um, a guide, a, 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 pract- a, a surgery that's been operational or refitted within the last five years can be worth anything from about, five thousand to fifteen thousand pounds Mm -hmm. and you may have spent forty plus on that surgery but the depreciation is quite quite considerable yeah Yeah, quite
0: considerable okay um now valuations ebitda a lot of people don't know what it means and they mistake this with net profit which is where there is confusion and people end up with an inflated idea of their practice's worth they read online or multiples of of ebitda and they look at the net profit on their Mm -hmm. uh, on their accounts let's talk about EBITDA, what it exactly means. EBITDA
1: is uh, an abbreviation for earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, which in a nutshell is the true net profit of the business after you've taken out the interest, depreciation, or all the costs that are not applicable to the new buyer when they take over but importantly, um, net profit often contains all the principal's clinical earnings. So, if you work in the practice and you're generating 300,000, 100% of your clinical earnings are in that net profit after cost. But for EBITDA, and to calculate EBITDA, you need to look at what you do as a principal and actually add in a cost for that. So, if you are generating 300,000, a broker or somebody doing a valuation will say, okay, to pay you as an associate at 45%, that's the cost and we will take that out of the net profit. So EBITDA is not to be confused with net profit because at the moment, the multiples that we're seeing, depending on location, so in rural locations, we're seeing about anything from four and a half to six, six and a half times EBITDA or six if it's really big scale practice. But in the big cities, we're seeing from anything from about six to eight. Yeah. Um, so, but it's important to remember those multiples can only be applied when you've put in a cost
0: for you if you were working there as an associate. Absolutely. And, of course, let's not forget that those, they're not capped. Mm-hmm. People, we, we've achieved values, as we know, in the last year of eight, nine, and ten times a multiple of EBITDA. If it's a group, it's bigger. So practices can achieve that number, multiple, obviously. You know, let's not forget that, that we've achieved... You know on occasion practices that have gone for nine ten times EBITDA but these are practices that are quite remarkable they have an outstanding um, EBITDA and that's where the professional
1: valuation comes in because it's by our knowledge of the market or all of the history of what's sold we understand what multiple is appropriate for that particular business
0: yeah absolutely and that goes back to data mm-hmm. values that we know we've achieved and people are prepared to pay for that profile of practice so a practice is so bespoke in its own modelling, so there is no one-size-fits-all. So the the, the motto to our our clients is, you know, have your own personal valuation done, so all the personal factors are taken into place, and then we will give you a report that will give you a very accurate pinpoint on your practice's current worth in the market. Don't read what you hear and think, oh, it's a sim, that sounds a bit like mine, that's what I'm worth, it's very different. And often we give people a very good news story about the value of their practice. And it changes their planning as well when they realize what their practice is really worth. Let's now talk about practices that are in demand in the current market. Uh, When I started selling practices about 14 or 15 years ago, private practices were very much in favor and NHS practices were often difficult to sell. There was a turnaround then and up until about five or six years ago, NHS was king and private practices took a bit of a hit on the values in those in those times people were applying the percentage of growth methodology to value them but i can remember that they were 83 to 85% in line with nasdaq figures and in nhs practices were 110 to 120% now everything has gone full circle and the good news is that practices that are private practices with a strong plan income orthodontic practices are now achieving excellent prices. So it really is a reversal of fortunes for private owners. And more and more sales that we broker and most people that register with us now are very keen to have strong private and plan income. So that's a very good news story. Um, multiples are higher.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it, it's a good.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that we take calls from buyers all the time. And the mantra once was, I you know want an NHS practice with this many UDAs. But quite clearly, there's a lot of associate dentists that are specialising in certain types of dentistry, want to do certain types of dentistry, and they're telling us that they want, they're looking for a private practice, and perhaps they, you know, they they will, they will consider one within an NHS element, but it has to be a bit smaller, maybe children's only or something like that. So there's a big, there is a definite.
0: It's interesting how the market does change, Mm. isn't it? Mm. The other thing we've definitely noticed in the last year is a number of people registering uh, with the company, looking for squat. For D1 premises, um, obviously one has to get, if you have a vacant premises, you have to get the D1 license to work from there. But appetite is stronger than it was, and there's obviously a lot more confidence in the high street. There's a lot more confidence with dentists now, with all the tools that are out there, that they feel that actually I don't have to pay for all of that goodwill. And it takes um, a certain kind of person that has the, a strong faith in their own ability and an understanding of marketing, social media and all the necessary tools to build a practice or someone that has their own following, their own client base that they can bring to a squat practice. But people now are showing much more interested when we sell vacant D1 squat sites. So we've talked about the demand for practices. It's all a good news story for private practice owners. Um, There's a lot for sale. They're selling very well and we are achieving record prices for them. Um, NHS practices are still obviously very popular, especially with first-time buyers. They like the bread and butter money, as we call it, that regular income. But that also enables them to bring in other services, um, maybe sort of tooth whitening, the ortho, facial aesthetics, Botox fillers, all the usual things that they're thinking about doing, but they need some regular income to give them the comfort and support while they bring it on. But let's talk about the negative aspect of the NHS because We are selling at the moment a record number of NHS practices with very high contract values. And the feeling is that with the reforms that are imminent, 2020, they're talked about, much written about. What are you seeing in the marketplace with our clients and the feeling of how that may affect their practice, the the value, the worth and the long-term future? I think
1: um, it's all about confidence. We've got the prototypes, but, you know, Everyone's a little bit uncertain about when that's going to be rolled out and what's it going to be, what's it going to look like. So what we're seeing is more NHS providers maybe taking their practice to market. So there's a bit more choice Um, and maybe they don't want to go through the change because they've got sort of organizational change in delivering the contract on the horizon. So there's a bit more coming to the market in NHS. And from a buyer's perspective, they're thinking, do I stop and wait? You know, so there's a little, you know, with some, there's a little bit of hesitancy in some cases. I don't think that's the case with the cluster group buyers. They are still, you know, looking for the the, the NHS, the mixed practices, because they're they're a good business model for them. Um, I think where we're seeing a little bit of reluctance in the NHS side of things is where maybe there's a bit of a, a track record of poor performance for the contract. So because if you've got breach notices or clawbacks. It's really important to speak to people about that because any buyer will pick that up in due diligence and they'll be thinking about what's the risk that this will be rebased or I won't be able to perform that contract once it's mine. Um, Is there any risk that it will be terminated? So I think we're a little bit of a crossroads where there's more people trying Potentially disposing or selling, and then we've got a little bit of a hesitancy for buyers in certain locations or with NHS practices that aren't performing, you know, where they should be.
0: Good. I think you're absolutely right, Abby. Um, people are thinking of selling their practices. One of the misconceptions that would be good to, I think, um, air is that. People don't always wait until they're sort of 63 before they retire at 65. I know that we've noticed a huge increase in principals coming to us for business valuations and discussions around their exit planning at 10, 15 years early. We've noticed a lot of people registering with us who are in their 40s, early 50s. We are selling their practices and they're staying on for five or 10 years. They've got a lot of gas in the tank. They've got a lot of passion and drive, but they're finding that you know, the, the, uh, the demands of ownership and the restraints have taken a bit of a toll on them, especially if they have an NHS practice with all the, the CQC, uh, CQC and the red tape and everything else. It all gets a bit much and it's affecting their quality of life. So they're enjoying selling their asset, enjoying great returns financially, but now having that freedom. But if you're thinking of getting your practice ready to go to the market, what are the key pointers that we can give principals how to increase their profits, and make changes now that will affect hugely the rewards at the end of the line, whether they sell in six months or six years. Mm -hmm. So, it's important to look at if you're thinking of selling soon, three
1: years, ten years. Anything that can make it more attractive to buyers is good news. But if we think about the numbers, anything where you're growing the revenue into the practice, so anything money coming in on the top line, and then looking about how that translates into profit. So things that you can do to increase that profit margin. It all has a big effect on the valuation. For example, if we're valuing a practice on seven times EBITDA, seven times the profit, if you are looking at reducing cost potentially by 25,000, that will be translating to 175,000 on your sale price. So if we think about looking about the top line and thinking about revenue in the practice, we've already spoken that having a diversity of income is really good news from a buyer's perspective. So thinking about expanding your business by offering new services. So maybe you've got a very good you know, activity in general dentistry, and that's how you spend, you and your associates spend most of your time looking at other services that are in demand in the area. So doing a little bit of research in the area, is there kind of endodontic access here? Is there orthodontics? Is there a sort of a demand for cosmetic stuff, whitening, um, facial aesthetics? Because people are really tuned into the way they look. So, you know, it's really important to people. So thinking about extra services that you can add, if you've got a spare room, for example, you might want to think, what makes the best sense for me business-wise? Does it make sense for me to have an associate and start building the book, the list? Or does it make sense for me to have maybe a hyg- more hygienist provision? Because uh, working with a hygienist to, for your patients to see them more frequently or working with your um, patients that they, more patients attend the hygienist, you can actually, it tends to be about 60 Percent plus profit for working for the revenue from the hygienist compared to if it's all associates so it's thinking about who
0: where can I use that space what can I add mm. that makes far more business sense than a, a more acceptable uh, reaction I get is well I've got a spare room and I'm renting it to the local physiotherapist mm. well of course the benefit is that you're getting a bit more footfall they're coming in to have their treatments done with a sports physio chiropractor whatever but none of that You're getting rental from a room, but none of that is adding to your top line. That's not increasing your goodwill. You're far better placed having that room with an associate or a hygienist or therapist on it because ultimately the income and revenue they bring in will be yours to sell on. It will be your goodwill, your share of that. So that makes far better sense than subletting vacant rooms to outside healthcare professionals.
1: I think the only other thing to add on that is when a buyer's coming in, um, maybe you haven't got the time to do that. Maybe you're, you know, you're looking to sort of get out the door in six months or sooner. Um, a buyer coming in, they see that scope that, you know, it's their 20-year business model, their plan. You know, they want to also see that they can put something in there or they can do something in there. They may have a, you know, master's in implants or something. So they might, that might be their, their plan is to use that extra space. I've seen something really interesting actually visiting practices and we see what works. Um, there's a practice that sold really for a really, really quite incredible price and they'd worked really hard on their efficiencies and they'd worked really hard on looking and controlling their costs. So, not to a degree where things were unsafe or under invested in, but they, they tasked their practice manager and they gave them a, some extra. Remuneration for it almost like a bonus for looking
0: and reviewing all of their costs in the practice mm-hmm. It's an excellent idea isn't it if you incentivize your team you get them on board Then they feel that they're part of the practice's journey as well. Mm-hmm. I think that business owners today have moved away from this uh, Concept that you're employed. What does it matter to you? If you leave the lights on all night and overorder grossly on the stationery, it's not your business I think teams need to be motivated and need to be made aware of the costs of running a business. And if they work together as a team, that will then spill on to their ethos of working together to deliver clinically well as well. And you're right, by getting them to have a a share of, of costs and savings makes them feel that they're part of that practice's success. And social media plays a very big part today in successes and profiling of a lot of practices. Uh, I meet many principals who think it's, you know, the dreaded Facebook. They feel they're afraid of it. They don't like it. They can't stand it. But it doesn't really matter. You don't have to do it yourself. You need to assign someone in the practice that's aware and knows how to do it professionally. But Facebook can be a very useful tool. And after all, there's no cost. But it's a good way of raising the awareness of a practice, raising its profile uh, in, in the area by having positive messages on there, reinforcement. You can have charity events on there. You can have nice testimonials from clients. And if used properly, social media is a huge boon to bringing up income levels in practices. And obviously everything is liked and shared within people. So we we urge people to look at the social media aspect um, as well as a website. One of the first things people will do is look at the website on a practice. If it's a very tired looking website that doesn't really tell you much about the practice, it sometimes tells you a little bit more about it. Your competitors will be working on this. So it's very important to make sure that your practice is represented to be competing with out there because it is a competitive world out there.
1: I'm just thinking about picking up on what you were saying, sort of looking at who's most appropriate in in the team to take up additional responsibilities and roles just to help boost that practice. Um, One of the biggest um, differences that we see in valuations, one of your biggest costs in your practice is your staff. Generally, industry benchmark, it's slightly different depending on the set size, scale of the practice or the profile, but it tends to be about 18% staff costs. But we commonly go into practices where maybe they haven't kept an eye on things. Everybody's happy. There's plenty of resource, but they could be running in, say, to 30, 35% staff costs. And straight away, if you think about that, that's about 17% more than it should be. Um, so that's eating into your profit margin 17% of your EBITDA, and you could potentially be losing out on hundreds of thousands of pounds on your valuation. So we're not saying cut your staff, but maybe think about how can I utilize them more appropriately to help with the growth of the business. So if you've got people with spare time, what can you task them with roles in, like you were saying in social media? So you actually got the staff if you can't change that fixed cost, then maybe you grow. look at how you can grow the business with them. Absolutely. Yes.
0: And I think people mustn't get too worried about this because they're thinking, well, I'm working full time. I'm working so hard. How can I do all this at the end of the day? It all becomes overwhelming for them. So do you know what? They do nothing. And I think the thing is that there are tools out there to help them. If they speak to their um, Simply Health consultants, they have all the tools there to help them build and grow their practice. All these tools are there at their disposal, but they just need to ask for that help. We help our clients, we provide a consultancy service, and we go into practices and sit down and and help them get their chair time optimization to how it should be. And these little small changes, and I can't stress this enough, small changes can make huge differences at the end. So never think it's just not, well, what's the point in doing that? You know, I'm only going to save £300 a year. But when you're looking at your suppliers, your materials, and everything else, all these things add up, and if you motivate your team and have everybody with a can-do attitude rather than a can't do, this really will play great dividends and rewards at the end of the day. And so the ultimate day when that winning flag comes down and you sell your practice, the financial reward will be so worth it. So. Ask for the help, there are business coaches out there, we can provide consultancy. I know that um, your plan consultants can help you with all of these tools. How can I increase revenue? How can I increase increase profitability? It's about raising it up. And if you are overstaffed, as you say, look at different ways to utilize them. Obviously, if you have a single-handed practice, you have a different uh, different scenario altogether. Um, People buying practices tend to like to have a second surgery. Um, It means that they can look at bringing in a hygienist or a therapist or subletting it to somebody else to do some some kind of specialist treatment. If you're single-handed and you have the capacity, um, it's a very good idea to bring in an associate for various reasons. It means that your income levels are now uh, starting to be split out. You introduce your patients to your associate so they get used to that transitional period and they're not just seeing you all the time. In preparation for the day when you do sail off into the sunset, It means that you have cover for holidays and sickness and you can introduce other services because remember that it's a very competitive marketplace and so any service that you don't provide, someone else will be very quickly want to hoover that up for you. So start to just investigate what the demand is. What are you currently referring out? So if you're a single-handed practitioner, maybe now is the time to start looking at, well, let's get that second surgery refurbished. Let's bring somebody in and let's see what the demand is like. And you see the difference on the profit line. It's quite remarkable. One other um, piece of advice, which is we've talked about bringing in associates to spread the income level. So an, an ideal buyer's basket is a practice that has a good set of accounts. The income levels are with not just heavily focused on the principal, but also associates, hygiene therapy, some plan income, maybe some NHS income. It's not so in demand these days, but it's a great thing to have. So you have various levels of income streams. So nobody is basically focusing on one area. And if it should falter or or diminish in any way, it doesn't rock the boat too much. But something else to think about, of course, is depersonalizing the goodwill. Because if it's all about you, and the patients only want to ever see you, these are other ways to move them across. And that includes perhaps thinking about rebranding your practice and renaming it. Because if it's currently named after you, then obviously it makes it harder to move on with the goodwill. So think of, for example, you know, if you're living in an area that's famous for oak trees, you could call it the oak dental practice or something, but, but basically you just rebrand and it's an opportunity to reach out to locally, marketing, a bit of press, social media. So it's a, double, it's a double opportunity here to reach a wider audience, but move it away from being all about you and make it about the oak dental practice as an example
1: really the important thing to think about as well is that the, we we sell all types of practices so it could be a single handed one chair practice it could be a practice with you know 10 plus surgeries you know there is a market for everything and it's all about the things that you can tweak wherever you are in that journey to make it more attractive to your market or being well you want to be looking at this 10 5 3 years ahead that doesn't always happen because life and circumstances change, but the reason we say that is because any changes that we're talking about that influence the top line, the costs, the profits, you want to be seeing a sustained pattern of that in the accounts. So it's going to take maybe, you know, one to two years to start for that to start to translate, for that growth to translate into the numbers
0: in the accounts. So when we've spent time with principals going out to meet clients all over the UK and we then go away and write the report. Do you feel, Abby, that you have a good feeling about who is the right buyer for that practice? When Do you have this gut instinct that the right match for them? Let's talk about matching up buyers and sellers here.
1: Okay, so when we walk through the doors and we see the accounts, we get to a, quite a good idea based on the profile of the practice which is the likely market? Who are the likely buyers? And by that, I mean individual first-time buyers that are going to maybe work in the practice as the principal has, um, or you've got cluster groups that have got anything from five to 20 practices, or maybe a few more, and then the, corporate, the big corporate buyers. And I sort of see it a bit like a scale, really. So if you're a single-handed practice, Um, it's unlikely that the corporate buyers are going to be your market. So that's at this end of the scale. And then you've got the slightly, the the bigger scale practices, maybe two, three to four surgeries. So that might appeal to individual buyers. It might appeal to somebody that's got a small group or possibly the corporates if they see they can add other services or merge. And then at the other end of the scale, you've got the corporate buys, which are very much the, you know, 750 turnover plus, four surgeries, plus, 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 and they have healthy, healthy EBITDAs where the, you know, number of surgeries active. And, you know, these are price tickets in, you know, millions plus. So by that very virtue of the price level, a lot of the individual buyers, which are first-time buyers, are priced out of that market because although you can work together in partnership, it's quite difficult for an individual to raise you know, two, three million pounds from debt. So you've got sort of a a continuum of buyers really. um, And that's what we're seeing. So when you go into a practice based on its performance, the likely valuation, you get a good idea about who are going to be the people looking at
0: this. Lovely. So I think really we've covered um, in today's webinar a a, a nice broad picture Mm -hmm. of of how to uh, increase your practice's profile and profitability. I think really to summarize, we need to talk about the key points and the first one is know your practice's worth. So it starts with getting a valuation. And we do regular appraisals for uh, clients annually until they're ready, you know, four, five, six years in advance. And that's a good thing that we can provide. And it's, it's good for them to know. You've got to know your number. And you can pass this information on to your wealth management advisors and IFAs for pension planning, if nothing else. But keep a track on your practice's worth. Um, never stop looking after and investing in your practice. Don't take your foot off the gas. And finally, be prepared. Make early preparations, it's never too early. So have that conversation with your dental accountant, share with them your plans, your dental solicitor, and start to get your accounts in a good ship shape and order so that when you take your practice to the market, you will get the ultimate reward for a life's work. So thank you very much for joining us on this webinar on what is your practice's worth and how you can increase the value. Uh, If you would like to contact us, we're always available on lilyhead.co.uk. We have a highly interactive website and a live chat where you can talk to any one of our team. And we would be very happy to answer any questions that you might have and arrange a confidential callback at any time. Thank you very much.